Centuria is one of the largest property investment managers in Australia. With over 20.6 billion in funds under management, Centuria is an Australian homegrown success story. Our guest on today's episode of Talking Tactics is Grant Nichols, fund manager of the listed Centuria office read, ticker code COF. The goal of the fund is to deliver sustainable and quality income streams. We all know that returning to the office has been a hot topic in the media, and I wanted to discuss with Grant how his fund has weathered the storm. Let's find out because today we're talking tactics. Grant Nichols, welcome to Talking Tactics. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. How big is the Centuria Office REIT? What kind of assets under management do you guys have? Yeah, Centuria Office REIT is a, is a listed um, real estate investment trust. Uh, it's on the ASX, it's the ticket code COF. So it's about $2.3, $2.4 billion of, of property. Uh, so we've got 23 office assets located across Australian office markets. We're predominantly a metropolitan or near city um, located office portfolio. Uh, we've generally got new assets because we prefer to have new assets. We think at the moment particularly tenants are really attracted to being in assets that offer a lot of amenity but also are more efficient. So um, not only from a sustainability perspective but also from a floor pay perspective. So we think that our portfolio is really delivering what tenants are, are looking for in, in current uh, accommodation requirements. So focusing on assets outside of the CBD is the fund that, that you really look after, so higher number of car parks, greater accessibility, it's probably um, one of the busier asset classes during COVID? Look, I think so. I think, uh, like, when people think about Australian um, commercial real estate, they're very much fixated on the Sydney and Melbourne CBD. We're pretty much everything outside of the Sydney and Melbourne CBD. So if you think about the context of the Australian commercial office landscape, the Sydney and Melbourne CBD represent about 35% of the Australian national office market, we invest in everything outside of that. And to your point there in regards to COVID, look, I think through COVID, we saw a lot of people working close to home. And I think the biggest impediment to workplace satisfaction is the commute. So one of the reasons we like owning assets in near city and metropolitan locations is people can work closer to home. And to the point that you raised, you generally do have a greater car parking allocation too. So that can make either a shorter commute or a more pleasurable commute. And I think that is what a lot of tenants are looking for, or a lot of employees within the tenancies are looking for these days. And I think that's become more acute through COVID because people have recognised the benefit of not having to commute when they have been forced to work from home. But outside of that too, we often look at assets that are located near key public transport. So for those people that can't afford to drive or they don't have two cars within the family or we don't have a car parking allocation that suits, those assets that we own still need to be very accessible. But the other key benefit is that if you are in a metropolitan or near city location and you are catching a train or, or different varieties of public transport, generally that public transport trip to that workplace is not as congested as coming to a CBD. So pre-COVID, we're all used to catching trains, very crowded trains to CBDs. Generally, when you're coming to a near city or metropolitan location, you don't have uh, that congestion within, within the public transport um, sphere either. And the funds recently acquired two new assets, um, 101 Moray Street in South Melbourne and a remaining 50% interest in 203 Pacific Highway in St Leonard's. Why was Coff confident enough to acquire these two assets? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll touch on both. For, for 101 Moray Street, this was a brand new asset that completed in 2020. 
So it's located in South Melbourne, um, the South Melbourne segment of the, the, the broader Melbourne office market. Now the Melbourne fringe office market broadly has been outperforming the CBD. We've seen stronger net absorption in the fringe. Uh, it goes to a lot of the points we've just discussed, you know, accessibility, being outside of the CBD, potentially working closer to home. But this particular asset, it completed in late 2020, so basically in the teeth of COVID. Uh, and as we all know, Melbourne had more lockdowns than I think anywhere in the world. So it really had a, a, an inopportune time to complete. Now, what that building did during that period, it was fully leased within about, I think, six months of completion. So it leased through what would be some of the toughest leasing conditions I think you could imagine. So from that perspective, it's already demonstrated there is very significant tenant depth for that asset. And they attracted tenants from all over Melbourne, including the CBD, to this location. The other key benefit of this asset that we like is that it offers a lot of amenity. So virtually every tenancy has access to a very significant balcony. A lot of them have city views. Um, there is a lot of amenity within the building, and this goes beyond your simple you know, end of trim facilities, which are becoming somewhat ubiquitous. Uh, there are things like basketball courts, golf simulators. There's a whole lot of amenity in this building that we think will attract tenants. Um, and more important, importantly, uh, employees coming back to the office, right? You've got to give them something a little bit different than just saying, here's, uh, here's uh, you know, a free lunch or something like that. Um, Mel, you're exactly right. I think when you're thinking about you know, when we're talking to tenants, most tenants um, universally, so whether this is government or corporate, are seeking for their employees to come back to work and they're looking for how they can incentivise tenants to do that or their employees to do that. And it really comes down to if, a, if their tenancy and their building can offer more than what they were doing pre-COVID, then there is a greater incentive to turn, turn up back to work. So what we're seeing is that tenants are actually looking, when they're looking at making moves, and, and, and Mel, you probably know this, as well as anyone. When tenants are looking at moving to new accommodation, they're actually at the moment looking at upgrading their accommodation, potentially even taking greater footprints because they want more space to deliver greater amenity within their tenancy because they want to encourage their staff to come back to work, to collaborate and to basically engage in a space that they probably weren't doing previously. It's no longer simply just having a desk with a computer screen because you can do that at home. What can offer space to offer that is different and better than what you can have working from home. And provide that collaborative environment for, for staff because ultimately that's really what the office is about, right? Sharing. And that's what you can't get working from home. So I think with the improvements in technology, you know, you can still maintain some connectivity with your with your with your colleagues and with your clients, but at the same time it, it it's not the same as being together. And I think we've all been zoomed out, teamed out, and the the side conversations that you do not get when you're in a, a meeting and the inefficiencies of having to sit in a video call when you basically can't do anything else or, or, or I think that is where productivity is starting to suffer. I had a Zoom call the other day that I said to the uh, client, hey, how about I just come to your office and whilst we had to dial someone in from Sydney, which made it quite efficient, I wanted to be in there for that same reason, um, read the verbal cues that are happening in between, have a, a quick little side conversation and then this is the strategy to attack it. It's, you definitely get a lot more out of meetings when it's face to face. Big time, big time. Because it, it, I think we've all been in, in Zoom calls too when you're looking at a blank screen and getting no feedback at all. So 
those, those in-person queues you just cannot replicate. And, and it does really feel like there has been a, a big push to decentralise uh, as a result of COVID. People are looking for a lot more sort of near city and metropolitan office locations and um, making it a little bit more uh, accessible for staff, which your portfolio really does play into. Yeah, look, I think that's a really good point too, because there is a lazy bias that people assume that when you do get you know, vacancy within CBDs, you will see Metro tenants you know, come to the city. But I don't believe that, that that is the case. I think that a lot of tenants are in Metro and near city locations because that is their preference to be there. It's not being made because it's cheaper. It is made because there are strategic reasons why they want to be there. We've run the ruler over the ASX 200. 55% of the ASX 200 are located outside CBD locations. There are lots of tenants that don't want to be in CBDs and they have a preference for being in Metro and near city locations. And high quality assets as well. Well, that's, I think that's where the Metro locations or the Metro markets are becoming more mature. So if we go back 20 years, uh, and I'm old enough to be working in office now for 20 years, a lot of the stock in Metro markets were inferior to what you'd get within a CBD. They weren't um, contemporary and it was a step down. Whereas now there is a lot of stock in metro and near city locations that compete or offer the same level of amenity than what you get in the CBD. In some cases you actually get better levels of amenity because the buildings probably have greater efficiencies than being in a 40 storey tower. So you generally can potentially get better floor plates, you can get um, better parking, which we've talked about, but increased increased or, or lower land values allow you to put in, you know, for argument's sake, bigger end of trip facilities and, and more amenity that you may not get within a constrained CBD site. Well, and we have gone down this um track of tightening really over the last 10 years you know a lot of developers were starting to tune their minds to delivering product of one person per eight square meters which as you'd know if you've ever walked in a you know I'm sure you have a yeah. one person per eight square meter ratio office yeah it's uh, it's like battery hens shoulder to shoulder and of course now now with the uh, social distancing, people have started to swing the other way and going, actually, maybe we shouldn't just jam everyone in uh, for maximum yeah. efficiency and spread yeah. them out a little bit more. You're exactly right. And one of the bigger issues that we saw within CBDs particularly is that we started to see fit outs that were designed for one to eight, but the buildings themselves, particularly for very tall office towers, so if you're talking 40, 50 storeys, they were not built for one to eight. So if they were built you know, 30 years ago for one to 12 maybe, and you've got a one to eight fit out on the, the 40th floor, there is a lot of people congregating in that foyer waiting for a lift, which is, you know, I think creates a lot of, um, how would you say, stress, anxiety, probably Well, you, you don't want someone sneezing over your shoulder, do you? It's well, <laughs> even beyond that, it's just the frustrated, frustration of waiting for a lift for five minutes. Whereas you come to a, a lot of near city and metro um, style assets are probably generally between sort of, you know, five to 15 stories. You just don't have that congestion. No, so. definitely not. And in Brisbane, you're one of the largest landlords of A-grade space outside of the CBD. You own 100 Brook Street, 825 Ann Street, both in Fortitude Valley. You also own 154 Melbourne Street in South Brisbane, 483 Kingsford Smith Drive in Hamilton, and 555 Coronation Drive in Toowong. That's quite a spread of assets and it locations. Is. You've yeah. really got all points covered within the, uh, the near city market. Which of these is keeping you busy in Brisbane? Look, at the moment, we're 100% full across our, 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 our broader, um, Queensland portfolio because we've also got an asset down in Rabuna. 
Um, and look, Queensland has been, and particularly Brisbane and in the metro areas, has been a really strong market for us probably for the last uh, three, four years, but particularly through COVID. So we've attracted to our portfolio during that period, I think something like 10,000 square metres of new tenants to the variety of our South southeast Queensland uh, office assets. And it's been a really, really strong mark market for us based on a lot of what we've discussed previously that in that we are providing good quality accommodation in areas that are easily accessible that offer decent levels of amenity. Now looking forward, we are going to get some vacancy at 154 Melbourne Street, which is in, in South Brisbane. Um, so the Tactic guys are, are working on that leasing campaign with us. Now, what we are looking to do within that asset is very similar to what you know, we've done within our other assets. So we will look to recycle existing fit-outs where we possibly can, um, because at the moment, particularly with inflation, existing fit-outs are becoming more valuable to, to incoming tenants. But beyond that, we will also look at increasing the amenity of that particular asset. So we will do an upgrade of the foyer, we will look at expanding the cafe, we'll look at upgrading the end of trip facilities. Beyond that too, we will also look at putting things in that you probably don't think about normally in terms of what amenity is. So things like prayer rooms and potentially things like parents change facilities, um, if, they, if they have childcare nearby and they need to bring their kid to work. Like things like that aren't really thought about in the context of an office building. So plenty of what we call third space really, isn't it? Just other spaces outside of your tenancy that you can utilise and it's not necessarily um, being charged out or monetised by, by the landlord, but provides that extra exactly for staff to, exactly. to use. That's right. And from a landlord's perspective, there may be a perception of why you would provide that facility if you're not monetising it. But to the point I raised previously, tenants want to come to these buildings that have that amenity in place. And generally, if they're coming to that building, they are prepared to pay a higher rent for it. So whilst you can't monetize that, you generally do get it back through a higher rent. So I think it is very worthwhile doing. And to the other point too, even if you're not monetizing it, it will reduce your downtime, which is a key, um, well, it's a, it's, it's a key issue for, for, for funds like us. Our predominant objective is to provide our unit holders with sustainable income returns. So the, you know, the best thing we can do, to, to, or the, the, the most important thing we can do to, to provide that is to minimise our downtime across our portfolio. And, and there is significant uh, public money being spent around an asset like 154 Melbourne. We mm. recently shot a video with Councillor Brian Murphy, who um, talked about the Brisbane Metro project, which is going in at the cultural centre, you know, some 200 metres mm. away from 154 Melbourne Street. Fantastic project and a revolutionise uh, access to and from the area and it's just a, a jump away and you've also got the Queen's Wharf um, uh, complex which uh, is also due for a completion yeah. in a similar time frame so you do really have a lot of private and public money being spent in the immediate area really lifting the profile. Yeah I think that's that's a really strong point like I'm based in Sydney so I haven't been due to COVID in Brisbane a lot over the course of the last three years. And I actually haven't been to South Brisbane for about 12 months um, prior to, to this recent trip to Brisbane. And to be honest, I am somewhat, I wouldn't say shocked, pleasantly surprised by the amount of activity that we're seeing in South Brisbane and West End and the amount of amenity that is, that is being created around 154 Melbourne Street. I think it, it does offer something different to what you get in the CBD. If anything, I think you know the, the, the quality of the eateries around 154 Melbourne Street is probably as good as anywhere in, in the city, probably better than what you get within the, the, the CBD itself. So I think there is a lot of key attractions to that location and I was pleasantly surprised by the amount of work that, 
like the, the broader Brisbane market is putting into that location? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm certainly a believer in the assets. I think it's worth disclosing that around about 10% of my self-managed super fund sits within COF. Um, so I, I like what Centurio are doing and the, the spread of assets. Uh, they're, they're all high quality assets. And I think if uh, anyone is interested in investing, obviously consult with their financial advisors. Mm. But um, we might get into some questions around some of the performance metrics of the fund, just in case people were interested in, in considering investing in COF. You've um, had a, a net profit that's significantly up from last year. Mm. Uh, it's gone from 21.5 million to 63.6 million in the last 12 months. How's COF done that in such yeah. a, uh, what we would call a, a challenging leasing environment? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, Mel. Um, in terms of our net profit, it's really guided by two things, how much income we can generate from the portfolio. And, and we have been we have been pretty pretty well occupied. So we're occupied currently in that sort of you know mid to low 90% range, which is which is materially better than the national average vacancy rate. But beyond that, too, key, another key driver of net profit is, is valuation. So over the course of probably the last 18 months, we've seen some very very strong sales evidence in the marketplace, uh, and that's been driving um, some improved valuation metrics across the CWF portfolio. So. That combined is what is, is driving our net profit. And in relation to uh, the net tangible assets uh, of the fund, it's significantly greater than the current share price. Mm. Last I checked, there was around about a 30% discrepancy between yeah. what your net tangible assets are. Maybe maybe if you can just describe for the viewers if they don't understand what maybe net tangible assets sure. are and we can go start from there and why there's such a discrepancy. Yeah, sure. Look, I think, it's probably easiest if we take a step back. So Centurio Office Read as a, as a real estate investment trust, all it is is uh, if you are buying a unit in CEF, all you are buying is a piece of the real estate. So CEF is just a portfolio of office assets. There is no staff. Um, so I work for Centurio, um, Centurio Capital Group. Um, I don't work for the Centurio Office Read. It has no staff. What it does is pays a management fee to Centurio Capital Group to manage those assets on behalf of the unit holders. So when you're buying a unit in COF, all you are buying is effectively a share of real estate. Now the NTA or the net tangible assets is basically the combined value of all those assets together, less whatever debt we have at that point in time. So. It's trading at about a 30% discount to net tangible assets. Right. So if you went and sold everything effectively, it would be up from something around like 30% of what Correct. the current share price is trading at. That's right. Why, why is there such a discrepancy yeah. in that number? Yeah, because we are listed on the ASX, obviously our unit price trades it every day. So the current NTA is about 250. Um, so if you combine all the valuations on a per unit basis, it adds up to about $2.50. But because we trade every day, unit holders, well, unit holders can determine on a daily basis um, through trading via the ASX what they believe that, that uh, units are worth. Now, at the moment, all real estate investment trusts are down pretty significantly. And really, that is due to, uh, in terms of uh, listed investors being pessimistic on the outlook for, for office values or real estate values going forward. And what's really driving that is, is perceptions on interest rates. So there is concern that you are seeing rising interest rates coming through the market and whether or not that will have a negative drag on asset values going forward. Now, my personal view is that the, the, the current market has overshot what is in reality and to the point we were just talking about in regards to net profit, a lot of the sales activity that we've seen 
over the last 18 months absolutely reinforced where net tension So there's a lot are. of sort of doomsday forecast where everyone's predicting the, the interest rates are going to yeah. uh, continue to escalate quite rapidly. Where do you think they'll Yeah, look, up? I think it's a, it's a good question. I wouldn't say there's a lot of doomsday out there. I think there's a lot of uncertainty and that's the biggest issue. So I think over the course of the next few months, you are going to see a moderation in capital transactions. And when I say capital transactions, that's commercial real estate assets that are bought and sold. And the reason being is that I think investors have, at this stage are cautious about where interest rates are going because there are the doomsdays out there that are thinking that it's going to go materially higher than where it currently is. And then there is also forecasts that indicate that you may see moderation in interest rate rises through the back half of this year and potentially even cuts next year. So there is a wide discrepancy in where interest rate forecasts are, are at the moment. Uh, if, if interest rates moderated that two to two and a half percent range, if you're buying commercial real estate between sort of five and a half or five to six percent cap rates, which is where the COF portfolio is, that is still a sufficient yield gap to, to, to make buying commercial real estate attractive. So I think you know, there is still uncertainty and I think there is still some water to go under the bridge. Um, but at this stage, given what has happened to date and where forecasts are, I think that the current discount to NTA is too great. So there is a period of adjustment that is currently um, uh, going, I guess, across a lot of different asset classes, but then you get some data that is, is somewhat contrary. You know, unemployment rate came out the other day at three and a half percent. You know, uh, what's that going to do to say office occupancy and uh, what people what people want to achieve out of their workspace? Yeah, look, I think very low unemployment is a very strong tailwind for office occupancy. Like traditionally, that. If there is increasing uh, employment, you are going, it necessitates more office space occupancy. So, and you generally see office space lag the data. So when we're seeing these very strong employment numbers come out, you generally don't see that translate into net absorption until a period after because the, the employees need to be better down within businesses and for that business to expand, um, they need to have that staff available to them. I think one of the bigger issues potentially for, for net absorption going forward is if we're at 3.5% unemployment, a lot of these businesses want to employ more staff. It's whether or not we can get more staff into those businesses. So I think things like immigration may become more important over the next 12 to 24 months in facilitating or meeting those those employment and clearing some of the backlog because uh, I think they're about 18 months behind in terms of processing visa applications. Exactly and, uh, right. We've had we've had effectively two years of very low immigration due to COVID. So there is that you know, that, that backlog they need to get through, but the pent up demand needs to get needs to get through that as well. So something for the new federal government to to really turn their attention and focus on. Look, I think we're all hoping they do. Yes. And in terms of more of a, I guess, global macro sense, we've got US inflation rates nearing double digits. There's still persistent lockdowns in China. What's your macro view of world financial markets for this year? Yeah, thanks for that, Mel. I'm just a simple property <laughs> guy. But look, it is interesting because you look at the world markets at the moment, you're getting very strong inflation numbers in, in places like Europe and in the States, you know, rising in interest rates, but then also the second largest economy in China is moderating. So it's, it's, it's a very strange situation. So I think, you know, there's a couple of key things that, that we're hoping, you know, sort of unwinds over the, the next probably 12 to 24 months. Hopefully we do see a pullback in inflation. And, you know, a lot of the inflation we think has been, you know, driven by supply, supply side constraints. 
you know, hopefully that does unwind over the next sort of six to 12 to 18 months. Talking to a lot of the construction guys um, that we deal with, they have seen some, um, how would you say, the supply constraints that they were dealing with for, for concrete, steel, furniture is not as probably acute as it was three to six months ago. So hopefully that will continue to get better uh, and that will hopefully I can, I can certainly attest to yeah. that. I've just, uh, unfortunately, I've just started building a house and uh, I've been ready to go for a few months, but I haven't been able to get a, a concreter to physically start. So, yeah. uh, so now I've finally locked it in, but it's only taken me a couple of months to, to actually and, and this, get it. This has been relatively unheard of in Australia for probably as long as I can remember. So if, if that does unwind, hopefully that does take some pressure off, off inflation going forward. And Centuria generally uh, in 2017, you had about 3.8 billion in funds under management. You've just rapidly grown that to hit past the $20 billion funds under management mark. It's gone up quite considerably. Where to next? Look, I think Centuria is, is obviously growing a lot, as, as you said, and I think they've, they've really identified some, some key fields of, of, or specialist fields that they're, they're looking at in terms of office, industrial, healthcare and agriculture, uh, and also bulky goods or, or, or specific retail. Um, so I think that we'll continue to look at those specialist areas and looking at, at you know, building the business in those specialist areas. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the group has grown astronomically and a lot of that comes down to the performance of the, the funds that it's had. So, you know, Centurion needs to continue to perform to, to continue to build um, funds under management going forward. But, you know, given the team and the, the abilities that we have in those various sectors, I'm, I'm confident that, that won't be an issue. So you've got a combination of listed and unlisted funds. If people are interested in getting in touch and uh, potentially investing, you know, subject to having a chat to their financial advisor, then how should they go about it? Yeah, look, we, you're exactly right. We do have a number of investment vehicles available to investors at Centuria. So there are three, three listed vehicles. So there's the office fund that we've discussed today. There is also an industrial fund. And then also you can, you can invest into the headstock, which is Centuria Capital Group, which is effectively the fund manager of, of the, the various funds that, that Centuria has. So they're all listed on the ASX, so, so people can, can buy that through the stock exchange. Then outside of that, Centuria does have a number of unlisted funds that are uh, a combination of closed-end syndicates, so that is where there is a single capital raise for generally a single asset um, that, that has a one-time investment opportunity. Uh, and then there is also open-ended funds, so they are consistent funds that people can invest into at any point in time. So if there is any interest in those unlisted funds, um, I would, I would uh, encourage people to get in contact with Centuria. So we have a Centuria website, there will be people or an investment services number on that, uh, on that website that people can call and the, invest the investor services team will be able to facilitate any questions that investors may have. Excellent. Grant Nichols, thanks for talking tactics. Pleasure, Bill. Thank you very much. A big thanks to Grant Nichols for chatting with me today. If you'd like further information on leasing options within Centuria's Brisbane-based portfolio or need a fit-out designed and built, feel free to contact us at Tactic. Tactic's full-scope coverage provides vertical efficiencies to catalyse superior leasing outcomes. From frontline property advisory to market-optimised fit-out design and construction, Tactic has a reputation for exceptional results and are with you every step of the way to help you make the right moves. Thanks for watching. I'm Mel Picos and we've been talking tactics.